Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixed Down. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixed Down. Cranking up right here on 3CR. That's us, Communication Mixdown. I'm John Langer. And I'm Jen Martin. And we're here for another week, John, and we're exploring all things communication. And did you know, Jen, this week (laughs) is Cultural Diversity Week in Victoria? Now, let me quote from the official website. Cultural Diversity Week brings together Victorians from all walks of life to promote community harmony and celebrate the many cultures that make our state so vibrant. And um, the Cultural Diversity Week is coordinated by the Victorian Multicultural Commission, and it features a week-long program of events throughout the state. Now, I had a bit of a look at the website and the images. And when you look at the website and the images, you see lots of people playing music. There's art, there's food, there's dance, all kinds of people smiling, enjoying the celebrations. Yay, it's great. So we're a big happy family. And there's nothing wrong with this. In fact, it should be praised, encouraged, and I think promoted. But look, here's a qualifier. Now, this is going to make me sound like Mr. Curmudgeon, but... This is the bells and whistles version of diversity and multiculturalism. At least that's the way I'm thinking about it. It's the one that wears the rose-colored glasses. It's the spectacle and the show, and dare I say it, the consumerist version of diversity. And I think there's actually a lot of hard work in making diversity work. And maybe one of the places to start thinking about this is with communication. In the classroom, in educational settings where learning and teaching takes place across the cultures. On Communication Mixed Down this week, our first guest is someone who's very familiar with being involved in communication across cultures. Chrissy Warren works at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. She's the Education Volunteer Coordinator, and she's someone who's also been a basically at the pointy end of communicating across cultures in a teaching and learning context. She's the one who organizes teaching the teaching of English for new arrivals in Australia. Hello, Chrissy. Hi, John. How are you going? Good. Now, tell us about these classes that you organize, just, just for us who we don't really know too much about them, but the general background. For example, how big are they? Are they separated in terms of males and females? How many times a week do they get held? How long do they run? These are sort of, I guess, you know, very basic sort of contextual questions I'm asking. 
Yeah, sure. Well, look, just to set the scene, I think the first thing is that we run classes for people seeking asylum who haven't yet been granted um, official refugee status. And we also um, offer classes for people on temporary protection visas who may have the ability to to work, but they may not have work yet and can't actually access English classes somewhere else. I think the really important point is that um, the classes we run are for people who can't access any government, any of the free 510 government hours for refugees. So it it leaves people who've arrived in Australia who are desperate to, you know, connect and be part of the Australian community um, to find a safe, nurturing place to learn English. So one of the things we do here at Footscray, and it's also done at our Dandenong office, is we offer um, English classes every day of the week at three different levels. So we, we offer a beginner class, an intermediate class and an upper-intermediate class. And they run from 10.30 to 12.30. We also offer a range of short courses just to support people who may sort of just want to have, well, first of all, some extra structure in their day in the afternoon, but also want to increase their, you know, their pronunciation skills, their conversation skills, their computer skills. On average, we would average about 20 to 30 men and women per day. We have mixed classes and all of our teachers are specifically trained in English as as an additional language teaching. Yes, and um, it's interesting, uh, just picking up on that additional language, when I was speaking to you earlier and organizing the interview, you you made an important point, I think, that we used to call it English as a second language, but you're basically saying, and I think what you said to me, is a lot of the refugees that come now are in fact multilingual. Oh, John, it's amazing. You know, I mean, I can speak English. Um, but yeah, we have people who can speak five languages fluently and, um, you know, are so determined to learn English. So it is pretty remarkable. Um, So in terms of... And the other thing about the people we work with in our English classes is that they range from people who've never had an opportunity to go to school to people who are actually fully qualified doctors, biologists, you know, chemists, nurses. So it's a a full spectrum. Mm. But unless they have English, it's really hard, you know, to to, um, well, obviously communicate your needs, to feel part of something, but also to be able to work effectively, you know, when you want to seek mm. employment. Just, uh, again, a, a, I guess a, a point of information. Most recently in terms of what's been going on at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, where are the students coming from? What, what countries and what communities are they coming from mostly now? Um, well, our largest... Um, population groups still are people from Iran and Afghanistan and they speak Persian or Farsi. Um, we have another big group of people who speak Tamil and they're coming from Sri Lanka, India and Singapore. We have um, a, a range of people who come from um, countries of the Arab League where they speak Arabic. We have people from Pakistan speaking Urdu. We have um, people from, you know, people from um, 
Vietnam, we have people who speak Kurdish, we have people who speak Malay, Hindi, mm-hmm. Amharic, Mandarin, Somali. We have a lot of French-speaking um, people seeking asylum only because they're coming from a lot mm-hmm. of the African countries. Yes. Yeah, so the range is really quite diverse yes. within within the classroom. And I think that's really interesting because one of the most incredible things in the classroom is that the the members really we call them members when they belong to the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. They really connect with each other and really support each other in in many of the languages that they share. They help each other to do some of that translation when someone's struggling with understanding a concept or being able to communicate what they want to say. Yeah, I was going to, that was actually one of my questions was uh, how the students communicate with, with each other in, in, uh, in the class and whether you recognized any particular trends over the years that you've been working. Um, are there things that, that, that seem to be, uh, I suppose, you know, very obvious in the way that communication works within the classroom itself? Well, I think, once again, that would really depend a lot on people's um, language acquisition skills. Clearly, at a beginner level, you know, the main thing that you're really doing is using a lot of visual material and audio material and doing a lot of practicing. And one of the, the tools we do is to get this and doing a lot of repetition to make sense of it um, and simulating things that would um, happen outside of the classroom. That's obviously a really big one to to set a context for people why they're studying English. Um, One of the things that's a really common tool across all of the levels, though, is to really engage the students in in, um, speaking to each other, asking questions, answering, that type of thing. Um, And also just for them to practice English because I'd say for the majority of our students, the only time they use English is really he- here at the ASRC or if they're having to sort of, you know, with a mm-hmm. legal appointment or a, an appointment with a doctor. So they often are not mixing with other people who speak English. So, mm-hmm. you know, it makes it really tough. But but I'll tell you what, they are so determined to learn English. It's amazing. Let's turn to the uh, the teaching side of it and the, the people that are running the classes. Yes. What 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 would you say the biggest challenges for the teachers say say when they first get into the classes? What what would be the most challenging thing that they would have to deal with? Uh, look, I think there are a number of things. I think one is the cultural diversity. I think one is also the the um, the range of. Uh, the range of, I suppose, what people can do. It's like we, we call it a beginner level, but for some people that may be they've never actually spoken English to other people who know some words who can have a, a brief conversation. I think one of the other things is obviously people really learning in different modes of learning. So one of the things we've noticed, particularly from some of the... Um, you know, some of the students have talked about is they've never been encouraged to speak up in a classroom. So it's very much rote learning and whatever the teacher says. It's not about having an opinion. It's not about asking questions. So one of the things is part of that cross-cultural exchange in terms of education models within Australia. 
which also I think helps them as parents if they have children at school, you know, in terms of recognising that it's it's not disrespectful to question, um, to have an opinion that's different from the teacher. And um, in terms of, uh, let me, let me uh, speculate a little bit here, and in terms of the sorts of changes that you see from yes. the way communication works in the classroom and I suppose how things are operating, what sort of changes do you see from, say, the first few classes to the, the last classes where they're, they're finishing the, cl- the course? Okay. Well, I think one of the things that we do is we we try and have a really um, strong structure to the classes so people know what they're going to expect. So they'll know there'll be conversation. They'll know there'll be um, written work. They'll know that they'll, um, there'll be some grammar. There'll be some vocabulary, that type of thing. There'll be lots of, um, you know, uh, tools to assist them to sort of reinforce what they're learning. I think, I think the most important thing is moving from, you know, one word to putting that word in a sentence to then being able to have a conversation and to initiate a conversation. So for example, um, one of the, one of our female students, um, from Afghanistan, last year she started in the beginner's class with very minimal English, very shy, you know, didn't want to speak up. Within six months, she had she had progressed. She came every day. She took opportunities for our, in our short courses. She came every day. And within six months, she had actually progressed to the upper intermediate level. And now she's actually studying in a um, certificate course in TAFE this year. So I think mm. I think the progression... Um, is different for everybody. The most important thing that we say to people is come when you come because there's lots of reasons for people not being able to turn up to class and making sure that they they feel that they're actually um, growing in their skills. We don't push someone into a new level. We'll encourage them and we'll say, look, we think your English is really good. We think that maybe you'll grow a bit better in the next level. Mm. Um, so it's very much treating people as adults, taking, you know, mm. I mean, taking agency on in terms of mm. the learning that they need and where they feel confident. Chrissy, I, we'd love to talk to you a bit more. Uh, there's so many interesting yes. things that you've been talking about, but we're running yes. out of time, unfortunately. And I was going to ask you one final thing, but look, maybe yes. you shouldn't answer this question. This will be the next time we talk. Yes. I was going to say, ask you this. If you had enough money and resources to build up not just the English skills in, your, um, in the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, but the communication skills for the refugee students, what would you be investing it in? And uh, we, we probably haven't got time to go into it, but where would you, where would you, one thing that you would say? Look, I think probably at this point for our beginner students, it would be great for them to have access to um, really good Australian audio um, lessons in English that are really supportive, that may be bilingual. Mm. I think also the other thing for us is really, really looking at computer literacy so right. that they can really connect. Yeah. Okay. Well, all the best to you and, and uh, thank you. keep up the good work. And uh, we've been talking there with Chrissy Warren, and she works at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. She's the Education Volunteer Coordinator, and you just heard a little bit about what happens in their classes.
The Adult Migrant Education Program runs a home tutor volunteer service to assist newly arrived migrants and refugees to learn English in their own home. The service is for those who cannot attend classes due to issues such as illness, caring responsibilities or social isolation. At the moment, we have large numbers of Syrian refugees being settled in the Hume area, particularly in Broadmeadows, Craigieburn, Roxburgh Park and surrounds. They're needing help to learn English so they can settle into Australian life and become integrated into the community. If you can spare an hour a week to help, please contact Stella Jennings on 92691085. That's 92691085. Or email name p home tutor at melbournepolytechnic.edu.au. Free training is provided, no qualifications necessary. The Adult Migrant Education Program is funded by the Australian Government, Department of Education and Training. Five, four, three, two, one. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. communication mixed down and today we're talking with Professor Sophie Arcudas. She is the Associate Director at the University of Melbourne Centre for the Study of Higher Education. She's also someone who works in a teaching and learning environment where successful communication across cultures is the key. International students, they leave their homes, their friends and family to study in a country that has a different language, weather, customs and of course ways of communicating. How are you, Sophie? Very well, thank you, Jean. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for joining us on Communication Mixdown. Oh, pleasure to be here. Now, look, I'd like to begin by asking you, in terms of, let's call it forms of communications, what are some of the biggest challenges that are facing international students when they arrive here to study? Well, I think um, we have to break down, first of all, if you don't mind, I will answer your question, Jenny, but I think... (laughs) You will. (laughs) I will. But I think one of the first issues we have to do is actually unpack this, uh, what I think is a problematic term of just general international students as being a very homogenous group of students who all have similar characteristics and they tend to be... Uh, very stereotypical characteristics of they're from Asia, even though Asia is a very diverse um, region. Uh, they don't have English as a first language. Uh, they have they suffer cultural shock. And I think we do have to acknowledge that a lot of our international students do not necessarily come from the Asia-Pacific area. The ones that do um, come from backgrounds where um, English could be their second language or their third language, but they are very well accustomed to communicating effectively in English. And then we have a group of students who might have English as a foreign language, uh, and they might encounter certain types of communication problems that might have to do with what anyone would encounter if they're going to a new country uh, where um, they don't have the networks, they don't have the cultural understanding of the, the country that they're going to, nor uh, the communication that they need to be able to be uh, work through those difficulties and challenges that they have when they first arrive. Look, Sophie, thank you so much for that context because, you know, this is what the show is about. It's about looking at communication and challenging um, those those terms. So thank you for that. And which cultures um, in your experience and through through your um, research have proven to be the most challenging in terms of realigning those communicational outlooks for study and learning? Well, I think um, if we're looking at 
uh, Melbourne, for example, uh, and we're looking at who the majority of students are who come, who the international students who come to study in the in Melbourne. We're looking mainly at students from China, students from India, and for them, they have varying degrees of um, challenges that they face when they first arrive here. So if I can even unpack that a little bit more, if that's Please. okay. Um, we have a large number of undergraduate students who are coming to study for the first time in Australia. They could be aged 17 or 18. They are new to the country without the support social networks and support networks of family. And they encounter uh, transitional issues when it comes to sort of being independent for the first time, uh, navigating uh, the education system that we have here, the transport system, trying to find a part-time job, trying to find accommodation. And all those issues merge into quite significant challenges for certain groups of students and unfortunately it's not a precise science here which groups of students will find it difficult there'll be varying degrees of that but I think um, also if I can say that the communication is not English language communication ability on its own Yes, but it's the social networking capacity that the students have to be able to um, navigate the labyrinth of challenges that they meet when they first arrive here and settle into study in Australia. And that's a lot more than knowing what what the verb is and where the subject is in a sentence, isn't it? Much more than that. So it's about uh, understanding um, how they should be uh, communicating in the sense of. What, what the expectations are of communication here. So we've done a lot of research, for example, that shows that one of the challenges many international students talk about their experiences in Australia is that they can't make friends with our local students. Um, and when we try to unpack that and say, well, what, what are some of the barriers that exist for them? Uh, many international students will say, well, they just simply don't have a common ground of conversation. They have different interest groups. They have, they're, they're interested in different uh, sort of social events. Uh, so the, they can't really merge their um, ideas and companionship together, if you like, because their interests are very different. And so that can form one, one obstacle for them uh, in communicating effectively. So it's not necessarily uh, their grammar. It's actually how they participate more in that social milieu of uh, the everyday conversational English and having the common uh, conversations about common interests that spark up friendships, which is what they're after. Now, I'm thinking of within the classroom now. So mm -hmm. I'm thinking, um, you know, how can teachers and lecturers um, perhaps begin to make those connections within the classroom. So look, what are some of the biggest challenges when you're working with, with teachers, um, teaching international students in terms of communication? Uh, I think one of the, well, one of the biggest challenges we face is um, many academics would actually not see it as their issue or might not feel that they have the particular expertise that they need to actually deal with the issue of communication. Ah, so the onus is on the student. They're there, the onus, they need they, to step up. That's right. So they see it more as the onus on the student 
or they would see uh, see it as the onus on the university because the university has admitted the students in. Therefore, what are the support programs that are made available within the university to actually support the students? And they might not see it as their particular issue that they have to address in their classroom because many academics also face you know, the reality of, of the day-to-day teaching, teaching to a wide, wide variety of students from diverse backgrounds as challenging enough and teaching their content without necessarily uh, also needing to be specialists in the, the area of teaching communication skills. Well, Sophie, if I could leave you with one final question just just leading on from that. So in in this context that we've been talking about, what is it that you think universities could do better? Well, I think there are a number of things that universities could do, and I, I should preface that by saying universities have already done a whole lot of things around this area. So I've been researching and working in this area for the last 10 years, and I've seen vast improvements. That's great to hear. Um, So I think universities are fully aware of what's going on and they're seeking to make uh, improvements in this area. But I think they also face certain challenges. So what what can be done? I'll rephrase your question for you. Sorry, Jenny, I hope I'm not taking over. I'll let you get away with it just this once. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, I think think, um, we need to focus more on uh, the domestic student cohort Ah, and actually uh, reframing um, a lot of their thinking around seeing international students as a burden in the classroom environment to seeing them as opportunities because if you know we we talk to a lot of the uh, domestic students and they want to go out there in the wide world have internet have careers go out internationally and work in international corporations and they have the best examples, best resources available to them of reaching out to international students yes. and working with them, learning from them, learning how to engage into culture. Well, they've got, they've got the world literally in the classroom there. Well, look, Sophie... That's right. Can I also finish just because I'd like to just say this one quote that I got from an employer once. Okay, yes. Um, that really sort of emphasises this point. Sorry, Jenny. And um, the, what I'd like to say is he he was he was an internet he was a multinational um, employer, and he turned to me once we were on a panel together, and he said, "Domestic students, our local students, actually don't re- realise what a vital resource they have here." And one of the first questions he asks anybody in an interview is, "How many friends have you made who are international students to actually gauge how receptive they?" Are yes, yes. To interacting Look, cross-culturally, um, I think I think that's a great a great point to end on. That um, you know there is a a window into another world right in that classroom for our for our um, Australian um, domestic students. Look, Sophie, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. That was Sophie. Arcudis. She is Professor Sophie Arcudis, the Associate Director at the University of Melbourne's Centre for the Study of Higher Education, speaking to us about the issues of communicating across cultures as it happens with international students in a university setting. And that's it for us, Communication Mixdown. We'll be back next week. I thought we might go out with the doors. Well, this is probably exactly what the people in the classroom are feeling at this point. People are strange when you're a stranger 
faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down. When you're strange, faces come out of the rain.